I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, I'm speaking with Rob Breck and Alex Wood. Rob and Alex are both seasoned security professionals in the Denver, Colorado area and a host of their own podcast, Colorado Equals Security. Rob is the Chief Information Security Officer at Ping Identity. In addition to his job at Ping, Rob is an active member of the Colorado security community. In early 2017, he co-founded Colorado Equals Security Podcast with Alex. Rob serves on the board for the Mountain Region's largest security conference, the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, and he recently ended his term as president of ISSA, Denver, the largest ISSA chapter in the world. Alex is the chief information security officer for Pulte Financial Services and has over 18 years of experience in information security. Previously, he has had managerial, program, and technical roles at several major companies in different verticals. Additionally, Alex has served on the board of directors for ISSA International, and as I mentioned before, is the co-host of Colorado's Equal Security Podcast. In this episode, we discuss volunteering in the cybersecurity community, the local Denver security community, security leadership and what that means, recruiting outside of traditional IT areas, the importance of IR planning, selling security within an organization, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. So, Rob and Alex, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you guys today? Doing great. How about you? I'm doing great. So, you know, before we get started, maybe if you guys can kind of introduce yourselves to the audience so they get to know the voices and just a little bit about who you guys are. Sure. My name is Rob Reck. Uh, I am the Chief Information Security Officer for Ping Identity, and uh, I'm, I'm also the president of the Denver chapter of ISSA, which is, uh, believe it or not, if you're not in Colorado, it is the largest uh, ISSA chapter in the world. Um, and, and I've been doing that for the last, I've been a volunteer for ISSA for the last five years or so. And I'm Alex Wood. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for Pulte Financial Services. Uh, I also sit on the international board for ISSA. Um, prior to Rob, I was the president of the chapter here in Denver. Um, and then, you know, Rob and I together, we do the Colorado Equal Security Podcast. So how did you both kind of get into security? What was your career path? Was it an accident, deliberate? Yeah, pretty different. Alex, why don't you go ahead and go first? Yeah, so uh, right out of college, I, I moved out here to Colorado. Um, I, I was a chemistry major, and I, I realized kind of near the end of my, uh, my college career that that was something that I probably didn't want to do for the rest of my life, but didn't really know exactly what it was I was going to do. Um, I'd always liked computers, and I, I got an, a sort of an entry-level kind of help desk job at IBM. Um, this was kind of the time when they were doing a lot of outsourcing for, for call centers and stuff like that. So it was a, a pretty easy job to get. Um, I actually, I, I walked in and I, they asked if I knew anything about Unix. And I said, yeah, I could get, you know, not, not great, but I know a few things. And they're like, okay, you're hired. Um, and then uh, did that for a few years. And, and one of the guys that I was working with um, moved from from that group to the, the managed security services group within IBM. And he was going to do some pen testing. Um, 
And he, he told me what he was going to do. And I said, you're, you're going to go do what? You're, they're going to pay you to go break into systems and, and do all this bad stuff. And he's like, yeah, that, you know, it, it's going to be awesome. I'm like, well, that sounds really cool. I'm, I want to do that. Um, and so then I just kept my, my eyes open for, uh, for openings in that group. Uh, eventually, uh, one came up. And, uh, so I started over there just kind of, you know, doing security operations and, and kind of went on from there. So, you know, I worked at IBM doing that for, uh, for about 10 years. Um, and then, have, you know, moved on several places since then. Uh, so similarly, I had a, a college major that had nothing to do with my career. Uh, however, I was a little bit, uh, a little bit less technical. I had a history degree coming out of college and, and I realized just after graduation that I had no interest in doing history stuff. And my first, my first job out of college was as a um, help desk uh, technical support for Electronic Arts, the video game company in, in the Bay Area. Basically, if someone's um, video games weren't working, I, they'd call us and I'd tell them they needed a new sound card driver or a new video card driver or something like that and um, get them back up and running. I did that for uh, about a year. Then I moved over to their to their video game testing area and tested games for a while. And, and it was a pretty fun place to work, but definitely realized after a couple of years, there's, there's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of career there. And, and certainly um, burns you out pretty quickly. You work a lot of hours there. Um, after when I left electronic arts, I went to, to a, a public relations firm and just did internal it for them. Um, and that was my, my first real um, computer job. <clears throat> and I was in the late nineties. So I did that for, for a couple of years, ended up moving out to Denver in 2001 uh, when my wife, uh, my wife came out, out here to, to go to school and I followed her out and, and ended up kind of just following the, the traditional IT path. You know, I did um, sysadmin work, network admin work, and somewhere around the year 2006, I, I had the opportunity to go to a place, uh, a managed security, or excuse me, a, a, an MSS, not an MSSP, a SaaS company that offered um, software for organizational development. Um, and they needed someone to do both their IT and their security work. Um, and I, and at that place, I really got in 2006, got into security kind of as a full-time gig for me. And um, that was really my way to make the transition from IT into security. And, and over for the last 11 years or so, it's really been um, doubling down on security. And that's been what I've been doing full-time since. So tell me a little bit more about the Denver area and the cybersecurity community here and why it's so special. It seems to be something that's uh, kind of growing, but not a lot of people really think or know about it compared to like the Bay Area, New York or other areas. Yeah, you know, I think Denver is just sort of and Colorado is sort of special just in the uh, the attitudes and, the, you know, the community that people feel around here, not just with security, but with a lot of different things. And I think that translates into the security community. Um, people here are very welcoming. Um, you know, I, I've been a lot of places and heard from people where, you know, you you go into a, a security community somewhere else and it's, you know, sort of exclusive. Hey, we're, you know, we're the cool kids. We don't want you to be part of our, our group or anything like that. And, and out here, everybody is, you know, really welcoming. They want to help people. Um, you know, they want to get, uh, see security be better. Um, so I, I think that's one of the, the really special things, you know, we, we've got sort of geographically, I think we're a little special too, is that there's not any other, you know, between Denver and Colorado Springs and a little bit of Boulder, you know, you go several hundred miles around us and there's not another big city. Um, so, you know, other places, I think the, the communities can be a little bit more fractured because it might be, um, you, you know, hey, well, you know, New York City or, you know, Philadelphia or, you know, parts of New Jersey. You got all these other little, you know, reasonably sized communities that are, are pretty close where, you know, in Colorado, everyone's here 
and then there's nothing else for a long ways away. Yeah, I'd echo part of what you said there, Alex, around the the welcoming nature of the folks here. Uh, there's not a lot of places where you, you get such an egalitarian look at things. And, and we have a, a pretty good, um, I get the security leaders level. We have we have dinners we'll do here in town with, with security leaders. And, and you'll get the CISOs from the biggest companies in Denver, so Western Union and, and DISH and uh, Aero Electronics. And they'll be there working with the guy who is an individual contributor who happens to run security at a small company. And, and there's no, you know, there's no... I, segmentation there in that community and people are just really willing to work together. And I do think it's a reflection of Colorado in general, right? It's not, it's not specific to security. It's just, we're in a place where, where work life matters and um, people, people want to have uh, people want to work with each other and be friends. Yeah. I mean, people come out here for the way of life, you know, to be more relaxed, to be outside, to do, you know, other stuff like that. And, you know, it translates in their attitude so that, that, you know, you don't have people that are, that are stuck up necessarily and full of themselves. They're, you know, they're, they're really about the community. Yeah. I think that's the one thing that I've noticed here. There's, there is a community, it's a real community. And the one thing as I've been networking, get to know people out here, everybody says, you know, what can I do to help you? It's not about what can you help me with? It's just, it's this very uh, much of a giving culture, but as, as Colorado kind of grows and gets more attention, is there a risk of it becoming diluted in a certain way with the culture like Silicon Valley or some of the other areas that kind of get a little too full of themselves. I don't, I don't think it's about growth. I think it's about what's your priorities. And, and when you, as you bring in um, the difference between Denver and Silicon Valley is not that they have something we don't have. It's the scale, right? That they have, you know, all of the venture capital money is basically sitting there. Now, Denver, we have we have venture capital money here too, but it's just not what people are prioritized on. It's not all about making an exit in the next thirty six months. Um, and, and I think that as if we keep the 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 focus on quality of life and and being a place where people want to be, that you know you can grow bigger, and, and growing bigger only gives us more opportunities. Yeah, and you know I've been out here for just about twenty years. Um, and Denver has changed a lot since I've been here in terms of size, it, a, a lot bigger than when I, when I came out, uh, 20 years ago. Um, but the culture is pretty much still the same. So, I mean, even though there's been tons and tons of people coming in from other places, from California, from Texas, from the East coast, um, I think people come out here because they want the, the culture that we have. So they, um, you know, they sort of assimilate to this culture because that's what they're looking for. Yeah, the one thing I've, I've kind of picked up on is the different companies and different people I've spoke to. It's, you know, they're trying to solve a problem. And as you said, the money's not in front of them. They're saying, okay, well, how are we going to get to our Series A and Series B and go through the rounds of funding? And that's all we're thinking about is that structure. It's, there's a problem and we want to solve it, which is really in, uh, encouraging, especially after going out to things like RSA, where you just see the, you know, the onslaught of that, where it's just completely financial based. So it's good to see that that's happening here. So who, who are some of the firms that listeners can kind of start picking up on or looking at that they should kind of watch in this area? So are you thinking like uh, uh, security firms? Yeah. So, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of startups out here. Um, you know, you've got, uh, some familiar names, some that are probably not as familiar. Um, Logarithm, you know, a big sim company, um, you know, one of the best that's out there. Um, I, I'll do it for Rob so that he doesn't have to uh, shill for himself. But, you know, Ping Identity, uh, great in the identity space. Uh, we, have, we have Optiv here. We have Optiv, yep. Uh, so so we, 
in our pot on our podcast, we have a website where we actually list the security companies in Colorado. And there's there's somewhere in like 25 ish range. There's quite a few of them. Um, so, we, you know, we mentioned those. I'll just go through them kind of quickly. The ones that I can remember. Um, we have ProtectWise, Red Canary, uh, Swimlane, um, help me out, S- Secure 64. Um, I'm, I'm kind of looking to the Alchemy website. Security. Yeah, Alchemy is here local. Uh, Coal Fire, another another big uh, yeah. national one. They're, they're headquartered here. Uh, GB Protect and Telesecure. There are a couple of uh, MSSPs. Uh, Managed Methods, who does CASB work. Um, Route Nine B. They're headquartered down in Colorado Springs. So uh, you know, number one on the, uh, on, the, the on the, the, the uh, Cybersecurity Five Hundred. Yep. Uh, so there's, there really are a lot of companies here in Colorado in terms of ones that I'm I'm excited about what they're doing and, and they're growing. You know, the, the, we t- kind of mentioned the, f- the big four, the big four being um, Logarithm, Ping, Webroot and Optive. Uh, and then there's the kind of I'd say the next tier down where you've got uh, ProtectWise and Red Canary uh, who are who are really growing and and have a, a great future in front of them. And I, and I, and I know swim lane's a little bit earlier on, but I think that what they're doing at swim lane is, is worth learning about and, and really pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. And you know, we've got a lot of other non-product companies too. You know, there's, there's lots of uh, consulting and other companies like that, that are, are based out of Colorado. Um, you know, Chris Nickerson, who I, I think is, you know, pretty big in the, the infosec circles. A lot of people know his name. Uh, you know, Laris consulting, his company is based here. Um, you know, lots of other companies like that too. It's great. Yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely put some of those uh, in, the, in the show notes, but wh- one of the things too, is I kind of want to pivot to deal with you. You guys are both in security leadership roles and, and recently the Verizon data breach report came out and shockingly, it looks like a reprint of everything from the last couple of years. Um, you know, it's a lot of the same stories, still on credentials, malware getting footholds by escalation, lateral movement. Why are we, in your guys' opinion, from from your roles, think or f- find that we're in our kind of same position year after year? Well, I mean, it, it's fundamentally a, a question of how we do things, right? That security is is an afterthought in so many places, um, and and in some ways, it's working the way it's supposed to work. Um, and the, what I mean by that is, in, in an organization, when you go after a new venture, whether it's a new company or a new product. Generally speaking, the largest risk to your company or your product is not about being hacked. The largest risk is that it's not a good enough idea that the market's going to pay for it. It, it, It's just going to fail as a venture. Um, And when that's the case, the way that you de-risk your company is not by hiring a CISO and going and putting a bunch of uh, resources into securing it. The way you de-risk that venture is by getting out to market and finding out whether it's worth selling. Um, And that the very nature of doing things in that way is going to mean that there are vulnerabilities because things have not been built um, in a secure fashion yet, and that's okay for some companies, right? That's okay for a company that's not um, that's not protecting our nuclear launch codes or or you know the the healthcare of of individuals. Um, I think we as we as an industry need to recognize when security matters as a first thing and when it's okay to come along later and and try and build it in. Um, so just the very nature of of de-risking a company means security probably isn't first in line. Well, and I think, um, you know, Rob, you're talking about de-risking. I think a lot of people don't have a good idea or don't even look at the actual risks that uh, from a cybersecurity perspective that are, are, uh, present in their companies. So, you know, they, they may see, uh, a headline or the, the, the DBIR or something else like that. And, Oh, Hey, Hey, something, something's wrong. There's a new threat out there. There's something, and then they go and look at that and, 
they're very tactical. Oh, hey, you know, new horrible thing. Oh, are we okay? Can we protect against that? What, what's going on? Um, but they're not actually pulling that back and, you know, being more methodical and, and looking at the actual risks that affect their company and, you know, having a roadmap and, and figuring out how to, to minimize those risks to an acceptable level. Um, I, I think also people on that same vein that they're, chasing the, the shiny object syndrome and they're, they're not doing the fundamentals. So, Hey, uh, you know, do I need this, you know, latest technology when I still don't do the basics very well? Do I need uh, to pay for a thread Intel feed when I don't know what systems are on my network? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and kind of going back to the basics, I mean, that, that, that seems to be a kind of common theme too. And we've talked to the folks out at in the RSA that were on the podcast too. It's like the, the basics are still not being done there. So kind of in your guys' mind, when you design security programs, what are, you know, kind of looking at the 80, 20 rule, what are the things that you can spend maybe the least, least amount of time on somewhat, but uh, that has the most meaningful impact to organizations that I think maybe gets overlooked at times. Having a good incident response plan in place and tested is a really low barrier of entry. Anyone can do it. It doesn't take that much time, but it's a really high value thing to do early on, very early on. Yeah. And I think, you know, having the people that are in security leadership being thoughtful and deliberate about the planning of the program, you know, often people walk in the door and immediately start to do something. Oh, Hey, I, I see a problem. Let's go fix that problem. Um, Whereas they, they didn't go in, hey, well, why don't we start by doing a risk assessment and figure out what our risks are? Um, why don't we, uh, you know, is there a program in place already? Um, if there's not, why don't we, you know, specifically lay out the controls based on those risks that we think that we need to, to put in place? Let's not just be reactive. Let's let's be thoughtful and plan this. Yeah, and one of the things, uh, Rob, I think I picked up on on a blog that you had that you had a quote that said, uh, "Trying to change the department of no, no more security must find innovative ways to say yes." Can you dig into that a little bit more? What did you mean by the department of no? Yeah, I, I think that what you get when you segment security off into its own silo is the input input output that doesn't work very well. So the input being make a decision about this technical thing we want to do output being a binary yes or no, we're going to do it. Um, or, whereas, and that is, I think historically what security was built as, and hopefully not super common anymore, but um, I know I've come into a couple of organizations where, where that was the legacy that I got to, that I got to deal with. Um, and, and the way I, the way I view security working best is, as we're integrated early and frequently into into processes. So rather than give us a decision, yes or no, it's here's where we're going as a company, help us figure out how do we get there. There's there's no there, there's no decision for security to make. It's it's part of architecting a solution, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, and and I think, you know, again harking back to to talk about risk, you know, security really is a risk management function. Um, so as sexy as that sounds, I, I know <laughs> it, it, it sounds amazing, doesn't it? Um, so it shouldn't really be up to us to be saying yes or no, we should be providing the, the information that that's needed for the business to decide if the risk is worth taking or not. So if they, if the business wants to, um, you know, put, put some, all of our social security numbers out on the internet with, with no protection. Okay. Well, here's the risks that I see. Business, are we willing to, to take those risks? Um, this is what could happen. Um, you know, th- th- that one would probably be a you know a, a pretty easy let's let's figure something else out to than than doing that. But there are but then there are some um, compliance aspects as well, right? And that sure. may, that may be complying with the law. It may be complying with 
you know, our own moral code that says, you know, some things are acceptable, some are not. But the general trend of what you're saying is absolutely right. We 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 want to be avoiding making business altering decisions as much as possible and bringing those to the business leaders to understand what's the implications of the decisions. Where do you think some of that failure happens? I mean, is it is it poor training with information security folks where they don't get enough of the business side when they're trained and what they do? There's always the focus on, you know, we need more technical skills, technical skills, but sometimes the soft skills and business skills are glossed over. And I've had instances where I've worked on data leak cases and I said to, you know, the IT folks, I was like, well, why didn't you just have a DLP solution in place that could have prevented this? And, oh, well, you know, we, we asked for it, but we didn't get it. And it was somehow somebody else's fault because you know, the rest of the firm wanted iPads or something like that. But I was like, did you just suggest that putting a DLP system in place is easy? Is that not easy. No, but that, but <laughs> in the sense of why didn't he, uh, you know, present this as saying, look, we're, we're, here's the, the risks of not doing it. Here's the cost of doing it and coming it in terms. I think he just threw it up there and said, well, we want this. Didn't say why, didn't explain what risk no level was bringing case. it down. No business case. Didn't get it. There were still issues that came up. Um, and then just try to point the fingers at the business and say, well, they don't get it. Well, I think it's largely historical um, in that you know, information security sort of grew up from the technical side. So you had all these people that, uh, that were really smart, that were, they were seeing these bad things happen, but they were technical people. Um, and you know, they would raise their hand and say, hey, bad technical thing is happening over here. We're getting hacked. We're, you know, people are stealing our data, that sort of thing. Um, but it, it was always from the technical perspective. So um, they never had that business perspective. It was always, there's a technical problem. Um, I, I think you're starting to see, you know, information security grow up a little bit, whereas, and you have people that, you know, either are understanding the business more or, or not necessarily coming directly from that technical side. So they maybe have um, a better handle on on how to do those business cases and, and how it is that, that you need to interact um, to get the stuff done that you need to get done. I, I have a, this is this is a big part of what I do at my job. You know, I have technical people on my teams, um, and generally, you, you hire someone and you want them to go understand the technology that they're securing. You know, security is not. I, I know that we we talk about it as though it's its own discipline, but it's really not. It's it's a sub discipline of all of the rest of the IT disciplines, right? Hey, you're a database admin. Well, we need to secure that database. You're a web you're a web designer. Well, we need to make sure that web design is is secure. And everything that we do in IT, there's a, a security aspect too. So my guys and gals need to um, they need to be understand the technology they're securing. And there's lots of different things to understand. They have to be pretty technical as they go. Um, so it's, it's my job to, to go help train them and teach them on how to, how to make sure they, they have the right technology skills. And then as it's time to go make the business case and start speaking to the business, um, I need to up-level them in that area as well and can be that buffer. And, and generally, I try and give them as much exposure to creating the business case. Hey, you, you need a new headcount? Let's put together a slide deck on what we need for that new headcount. You do the first draft. And then, you know, I, I usually have a lot of changes, right? And But we work on it together so they can start to see, here's how the business looks at it. Here's what's important to the folks that we're going to be presenting this to. Um, the, the skills that get them to be excellent security practitioners are not the same skills that get them to be a successful security executive. So we have to teach that as we go and give them more exposure and more opportunities to get good at that. With that too, we've seen a lot of organizations, this, the, the role of the CISO was kind of compartmentalized under IT, under a CIO. Um, 
is that the is that a bad place or the best or is it the best place for CISOs to be or is that role kind of evolving now in a lot of organizations? Well, I have I've gone back and forth on that particular question. Uh, I worked in financial services for quite a while, and when when I re, when I was regulated by the FFIEC, they had some specific requirements that I that security could not report into into operational IT that we had to be in a different reporting structure. And you know, based on growing up in that area, I. I had a bias thinking that that was that was the way it needed to be, and then I worked at an organization where the CIO was was maybe the the second most powerful person in the company behind the CEO, and was super supportive of security and and was able to help me be successful. Um, and and I realized and I and I now believe that it's not about some you know hypothetical on paper this is the right way to do things it really is organizational dynamics dependent if you work in a company where um where IT is super in, inward facing and doesn't talk to anyone else if you don't report to the CIO you're never going to be successful because you're not going to get anything done however if you're working at a place for a CIO who doesn't care about security and just wants to control you f- for the sake of you know minimizing what you do um you're, you're never going to get anything done there either, right? So I really believe it does depend on the organization and the, and the individuals you're working with, and it's there is no one size fits all. Um, at, at Ping, where I am, I don't report into IT. We have, you know, I'm, I'm at a peer level with the IT leaders, um, and that works really well there. It, you know, but it's a company that understands security and understands how important it is to to do those things well. I really think you have to look at the company. Yeah, I com- I completely agree with that. Um, I think it also depends on the individual. Um, you know, a lot of times people think, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to report to the CIO. I don't want to report to the, I, I want to report, you know, directly to the CIO or security to the should, board. Just, yeah, security should be right, you know, straight to the board. Well, are those people actually prepared um, to talk on a regular basis to, to those kind of individuals? Um, have you ever spoken to the board before? Do you know, you know, do you know what's expected from of you from the, the CEO? Um, so it's not always a bad thing for someone to have um, an extra level of filter between uh, them and, and the folks that are making the ultimate decisions, because, you know, maybe you're not as, um, as polished as you think you are. Maybe you don't have those business skills you think you do. Um, and having that one other person between you and, and those decision makers uh, can help you get the right information to them so that you can actually do a better job of getting your, your job done. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, you know, to Rob's point, it's, I think it totally depends on the organization um, you know, some places, um, it makes sense for you to be in it. Some places it doesn't. Uh, I think also as the, the CISO role evolves, um, I think you will start to see that it, it move up higher, but again, it has to do with the people. Um, you, you saw this, I think with the, the CIO role, you know, for a long time, the, the CIO was, was just somebody that, you know, they manage the people that, that fix the computers, you know, that, and as things went along and IT became more important as part of a business, that role had to grow up and be more business focused and help, you know, be a, a business enabler and, and things like that. And, you know, the CISO role has to do that same thing. And I think until the, the people are in that role are ready to do it, then, um, then you're still going to report to the CIO or report to someone else. Um, eventually, when the, the, the folks are, are business ready, I think it's going to be more likely that they, they up-level themselves and report to a CEO or CFO or board or whoever it might be. So in 2017, what, what would you, how would you kind of say is that, what would you say is the job description of a CISO? Um, I mean, I think that's a little bit, uh, company dependent too. Um, you know, I've, I've worked in organizations where, you know, we've had 
600 plus people in the, the security department. Um, and, you know, I've worked in places where I've led a security group and I was a single person that did security. So uh, those are very, very different roles. Um, so I think it's hard to, to pigeonhole somebody, but, you know, you have to understand what your business is doing. You have to understand risk. Um, and then you have to have, you know, depending on the position, at, at least enough technical skills so that you, you know what your people need to be doing. So I have a little slightly different perspective. The, the number one most important thing that a CISO needs to do is figure out what are the most important things that you need to do. So you, ha you have to understand the context of your company. So you walk in the door, if you think you're going to come in and do what you did at your last place, you're probably not doing a service to your, to your organization. So when I, when I came into Ping, I, I pretty quickly figured out um, what, are the, what are the core values that Ping delivers to the market? What are the, core th what are the three things that we as a company do, core capabilities? And then how do I, as a security leader, make sure that the, comp the value that we create is protected? So the, the way it ties in from maps for me is the number one most important thing I do is make sure that we are creating products securely. So we, we're, we create identity and access management products and services. Well, I need to make sure that those are, are created and delivered securely. I need to be able to provide assurance that, you know, throughout the process, they were, they were engineered securely and that they're delivered a secure product. We also run a, um, a SaaS product. Well, I need to make sure that the SaaS product that we're running is done in a secure fashion, that we, that we're following standards. We're able to give assurance to our customers, um, and that we, you know, at the end of the day, people can, can feel comfortable and I can feel comfortable that, that, that data there is, is secure. And then the third thing we do is we sell those products and services. That is a core competency for ping. Well, how do I enable us to be successful? Well, by, by having, you know, a SOC two in place, by having compliance frameworks, third-party assessments, by having people who understand how to talk to customers. Um, so I look at those three key capabilities that we do and I make sure that security is enabling us to do all of those. Excellent. So let's talk about the numbers game a little bit too. We keep hearing that there's not enough people out there to fill the job openings and there's certainly, you know, that, that shortage, but you know, from my perspective, I also think there's more than that too. And we were talking a little bit about leadership, but sometimes I think there's not enough leaders um, being developed to help other leaders develop and develop people underneath them. So you can kind of get that leverage where you get that one person that can help a team of people work better. What is your guys take on the number? And, and do you think I'm on the right, thought pattern at least about lack of leadership at times within the security community. Yeah. I mean, any, I, I definitely agree that there is a, a shortage of experienced people for these positions that, that I, I, absolutely true. Um, what that, that means a lot of different things. That means when we hire a, um, when we hire a entry level person, um, we, they're not going to have had a computer science degree. Probably you're going to have to find someone who, who knows, um, who knows something that you can you know, use. But then I think the problem that you're hitting on is a little bit higher up. When you go and promote to that, you know, fourth to fifth level, um, you're probably getting someone who was not quite where they were, where they should have been in terms of background at the levels below as well. You're, you're pulling up people who um, weren't, weren't quite as advanced as we'd love them to have been for the level they're at. So your leaders are less experienced than they should be. They don't have the, the breadth of, um, of knowledge you'd like to have. Um, it is from the very top to the bottom. Our, our CISOs are less experienced than we'd love our CISOs to be. And every level they're, they're under is probably less experienced than we'd like. Um, that said, that's the reality of the world we're living in. So let's, let's try and challenge the way we think of things versus me having to go hire someone who's got 10 years of being a security guy 
maybe I can say, what's the technology I'm trying to secure? And maybe they could have been an operational person using that technology, or you know, maybe they're if I'm hiring a, an application security expert, maybe I got, I hire a developer who has worked on authentication and encryption during their career, and I bring them to the security side. Um, trying to challenge the way we think about what's what's an expert in security look like has, has helped me fill positions that otherwise would have been much more difficult. Yeah, and I agree with that, and I think we're not going to solve this, uh, the gap of, of number of people in the industry. If we, we keep trying to hire security people for security jobs, because then you're just, um, it's just churn. Um, you know, I'm taking somebody from Rob and then Rob's taking somebody from me and you're not adding anybody new to the industry. You're just circulating people around. Um, so yeah, I think if you, if you pull people up that, um, maybe don't even have experience at all, but have skills that they can develop in that area. Um, you know, I've spoken to some people um, who they're looking completely outside of IT, but just people that, that can think in a certain way um, and then can be trained uh, to do the roles that they need to do. Um, so you're, you're pulling more people into the industry as a whole. And then as you grow that base, eventually you're going to have people, you know, sort of filter up to the top and help with that, uh, that leadership problem. But until you increase that total number of people in the pool, you're still going to run into the same problems that we have now. Where are some of those uh, maybe outside the security industry areas that organizations should look for those types of talent? Well, I think that um, the situation I was talking about a minute ago, they were looking for the people that can see patterns. They were looking for analysts. Um, so I think some of the people, um, you know, they were they were pulling them from, um, you know, maybe from music. Um, and uh, we have one friend who hired a bartender, right? Yeah, it was more customer service focused. Right. Um, But it's, you know, maybe people that are uh, in professions that that have similar types of skills, but not just um, directly related even to IT or security. But, you know, people that can think in a certain way, uh, people that can see patterns, people that, um, you know, maybe are, you know, math related or, you know, other things like that that can bring skills to the table. One of the things that's come up in in the podcast before is, yeah, a lot of people said, you know, got to get out there and meet people and networking. Has networking and kind of getting out in the community helped you guys either find people or find things that you were more satisfied doing? Yeah. So networking has been um, probably the best thing I've chosen to do for my for my career and and really just my enjoyment of the job. I ha- I've made dozens, you know, maybe over a hundred, you know, friends in the last five years just from from, from doing this networking and stuff, uh, and, and get to know people. And, and it's, you know, there's the practical part about, you know, I, I have, I have hired several people into my team based on this networking and getting to know them at different events. Um, but then there's also just having people who I can talk to that understand the unique challenges of, of being the security leader at a company. Um, you know, we, th- it's not that different, right? We, we all have similar challenges and being able to talk about it and, and commiserate a little bit and get some advice of what did you do that that's been invaluable. And it's something that I, I really personally highly recommend for everybody. Yeah. Rob's the king of networking. So, uh, I I'd say, you know, from my perspective, I, I wouldn't be where I am today without networking and even beyond that volunteering, you know, so I, a number of years back, um, was still working, uh, for, you know, a big company. And I, I knew lots of security people in that company, but I didn't know a lot of people outside that company um, or even local. So I thought, well, okay, well, how can I rectify this? And uh, I, I started attending ISSA meetings and then I, you know, I volunteered to help, um, uh, you know, with ISSA and, and eventually ended up on the board there. 
And that was one of the single most important things that I think that I've done. It really got me involved in the local community. Um, you know, I, I got to meet people that I probably wouldn't meet otherwise, um, especially, you know, being at that time, you know, sort of an individual contributor level kind of person. Um, and then it gave me the opportunity to uh, to rise up and be in a leadership role within ISSA, um, which I then then helped me become a leader in other areas. I'd, I'd say I just want to echo the part about um, the best way to network is to volunteer. You, you Networking is great. You go show up somewhere, though, and and it, it's awkward. And do I do I know these people? What's my point here? Why am I here? Uh, it's kind of it's kind of hard to break into the to that little people talking in the corner. Maybe you're just going to leave. You know, it, it, I think it's really hard to, to just try and go network for the sake of networking. But once you volunteer and you have a reason to be there and you kind of you're responsible to going up to talk to them. And um, it's not weird that you talk to them because you're part of the volunteer group. Right. I, I think volunteering is such a strong thing. And um, and, and I one of the, the things that I've learned in the last few years in I'd love to share here real quickly. Uh, one of the podcasts I listen to, and, and it's not a security related one, um, was talking about the difference between being in a participant for something and being a, uh, a contributor or a, uh, excuse me, a participant versus an audience member. You know, are you observing or are you engaged? And this is a filter that I've been applying to just about everything I do in my life for the last couple of years. As you're going to make a decision, are you going, is the thing you're going to go do something that you're engaged with or something that you're watching? Are you going to go watch television or are you going to go play with your kids? Are you going to go, um, go, go out and play a game of basketball? Or are you going to turn on the TV and watch NBA? Um, are you going to go to an ISSA meeting and listen, or are you going to go there to engage or to, to present? And that's not to say that, you know, there's no time for observing. Of course, there's, there's always going to be a mix, but I've been trying to push my mix as much as I can toward being engaged, being the guy on the stage, being the person who's actively engaged with what's happening. And, and I strongly recommend those listening, take that same challenge to yourself, um, at work, you know, if you're going to a meeting, are you part of the meeting? Or are you listening to the meeting? And, and all of the things you do in your life, try and think of how can you be more engaged and more part of the solution versus someone watching? Yeah, and I think going back to the Colorado community, I think there's a lot of people with those same kind of feelings here, which is why one of the reasons why we have such a great community, you know, ISSA, uh, we're the, the largest ISSA chapter here. Um, you know, ISACA has a, a really big chapter, um, OWASP, one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, chapter in the world, um, all these volunteer organizations where people are willing to step up and put their time in and contribute. Um, and it really shows because those organizations don't thrive if you don't have people that are volunteering and are willing to put in the, the, the time to make them great organizations. Yeah, it's, it's it was something somebody who was uh, kind of a mentor in, in early in my career said, you know, you have to, gotta, you have to give to get. And it's such a great approach to that, as Rob, you're saying, to kind of uh, not always be the uh, observer, but try to participate as much. And it's funny. I mean, I, I'm still relatively new to the Colorado uh, security community, but one of the first things I said, okay, where can I volunteer? Where where do my skills where I can help out? And it was like B-sides. There was an easy opening there where they're like, yeah, we're underwater in this one area. Can you help? I'm like, oh, sure, let, let me let me do it. And it gets you in, engaged. But what, one of the things obviously you guys do to give back is the podcast. So how, how did the podcast kind of come about for Colorado Equal Security? Uh, I'll let Rob talk first because it was, I think it was really started with his idea. Um, so. Yeah. So, so when I started with ISSA, um, 2011, 2012 timeframe, 
I had this idea of the security community and, and maybe literally being a few hundred people that there's a few hundred people who do security in Denver and I should go get to meet them all. It's kind of how, how I was thinking when I got started. And over the course of the years, as I, um, as I started to, to help run ISSA, I started, saw that there's, there's a lot more things going on than I thought. Um, and, and probably in 2016, it kind of came to a head where, you know, ISSA had become the biggest chapter around and ISACA is a huge group. And, and I know many of the people in both of those groups. And I now believe there's not a few hundred people. There's not even a few thousand people. There's, there's tens of thousands of people doing security in Colorado. And there's just no way for me to know everything that's going on. In addition to the groups that Alex mentioned, we've also got a cloud security alliance and we've got this uh, city set group and, and you know, there, there's so many things happening in Denver and you can't keep on top of all of it. And how would you, if you move, you just moved to Denver, how would you know who to get involved with? There's no, there's no signup sheet, right? That says, here's the different hundred groups in town, go figure out which one fits you best. Um, so we saw an opportunity for, for us to create a place where that kind of becomes the home base for security in Colorado. We're not, we're not doing any new events. We're not here to go start a new group or have a new board. We're just here to amplify the message of all of the different things that are already happening in town. I think that there's already so much value being created. Um, if you go to our website, colorado-security.com, we have an events page um, where we try and grab all of the events from all these different groups. Almost every single day of the week, you can go somewhere. And, and many days you, you have to choose, you know, there's, there's four things going on, you know, on Tuesday of this next week. Um, how do you, how do you have the right pick for you? Um, we think as we amplify this message, give you the opportunity to know all that's going on, we can start to bring more people to the right groups and help them really benefit from, from what's being offered. Well, and I think also help those groups work better together with each other. You know, some of them are, are fairly closely tied and, and work well together, but others, it's just, you know, different segments of the community. So, uh, you know, again, if you look at the events calendar, there'll be some days when there's two or three or more events all on the same day. Um, it's great that there's a lot of events, but um, if I wanted to go to all of those, I don't think I'd yeah. be able to. Um, so, and, and should we have two things downtown that are roughly the same thing on the same day? Right. We, we do have that pretty frequently and, and we're trying to help address that. Exactly. Um, you know, and beyond that, you know, we're talking about events and organizations here, but there's also companies and we try and track the, the companies that we have based here in Colorado, just, you know, another part of the ecosystem, um, that I think really makes it, it vibrant here and, and people need to know about them. Um, you know, if you want to support your local community and you need a product in those areas, you should support your local, uh, your local company if you can. So, okay. Can I help me help you as someone who is new to the Colorado community, where does the Colorado community need the most help right now? Do you think? That's a good question. Uh, if you would have asked me a few weeks ago, um, I would have said that there was probably a lot of opportunity for um, volunteering with the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference and B-Sides, as you mentioned, which are coming up in this next week. Um, but, uh, you know, beyond that, I would say, you know, figure out what it is that, that you like and what, what you want to be about, and then go check out uh, colorado-security.com to see the different organizations that are out there that, that sort of meet with your need, because everybody's going to need help. You know, I, I, I could give a little specifics. I think the the OWASP chapter that Alex has mentioned, which is a fantastic group here, they, there's a chapter in Denver, and there's also a chapter in Boulder. Um, I know I know that there's, there's a need for help for programming there and helping getting people uh, organized around that. And the Cloud Security Alliance, they, they are another strong group that um, meets in Denver that 
would make sense to start getting involved with them. And I, and I, I suspect both of those groups could use some additional volunteers right now. Awesome. Well, I thank you both for your time today. Where can people find you? I know we mentioned colorado-security.com. What's some of your Twitter feeds or other things you guys are working on that maybe uh, they can look more up on you? Uh, yeah, so we're on Twitter. It's The the name is Colorado Equals Security. The, the tag is at uh, CO underscore security. Um, I'm at Rob Rec on Twitter. And, and go to our website. At, you can just go to uh, colorado-security.com and, and learn all about us on there. Yeah, and you know my personal tw- Twitter is at uh, ab Woodrow, but um, I, I'm more a Twitter voyeur than a than a poster, so uh, you're probably not going to find a whole lot there. Um, yeah, again, go to Colorado-Security.com for uh, for the event page and and company or uh, yeah local company information um, on any of the major you know podcast networks. You should be able to search for the podcast, and we'd love to have you subscribe. Um, you know we. We do a weekly podcast with uh, news events and jobs, as well as a, a feature interview. Great. Well, I'll definitely put all that in the show notes and links so people can find you guys. Thank you guys for your time right. today. Thanks, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.